0: By a different, much older name. Yeah. A name perhaps you <laughs> hoped you'd never hear again.
1: I am Dave!
2: Dave! 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 Dave
1: Dave Dave. Dave This is an open letter,
2: and I am the aforementioned Dave. Thanks for listening. Uh, we're going to have an interesting night tonight. We have a guest tonight. We haven't had a guest for a couple podcasts now, have we, Chad?
1: We haven't had a couple podcasts in a while.
2: <laughs> we, <laughs> no, we haven't. The last one was just you and I talking about the, uh, the kneeling at the National Anthem, so that wasn't too long. Yeah, ago.
1: We had a couple phone guests, though. Yeah, we
2: did. We did surprise phone guests, so that went pretty well. And we missed one of our core members of the podcast last time, and that is my lovely wife, Carol, and she is with us
0: tonight. Hello.
2: <laughs> there you go. She got you got hello from Carol. So there it is. So she and I are going to be sharing a mic tonight, and we have a guest, his name is Paul Holford. Paul, can you say hi to everyone?
3: Hey everyone.
2: Have you ever been on a podcast before, Paul?
3: I have not. Well there this you a go. First.
2: All right. Well, we're glad to have you. And we like to start every episode off with the same thing, and it's a little portion we like to call off the cuff. And what that means is, I've literally thought of a question on the way here tonight, in the car, and this is the question I have for everybody.
0: Wait, you mean you weren't paying attention to me?
2: Well, it was in between you what you were saying. That's all. So I was paying attention to you, but I I'm learning to multitask through from learning from you.
3: Men don't multitask.
2: <laughs> Shush! You're not helping. Yeah, it was.
0: Chad is bored.
2: Well, I think it's more referencing that I wasn't listening to you. I think was that it? No, no, oh, you're just <laughs> bored. No,
1: I, I was just like this conversation's going nowhere.
2: Oh wow, you get bored easily. That's too bad. So, uh... so anyway, here's the off-the-cuff question: Is I want to know what your favorite game to play was when you were a <laughs> child. One of one of your favorites. So, and you were a little kid. What were one of the games that you loved to play? And if you can, tell me why. Anyone got an answer? Chad, what you got?
1: I don't have one. But I will tell you one thing I'm extremely disappointed in. Very disappointed in the fact that Candyland no longer has the molasses swamp.
2: What are you talking about?
1: Candyland does not have the molasses swamp anymore.
2: How do you know this?
1: Because my son has Candyland and we play it. And it's like, well, you got to be careful not to get stuck in the molasses swamp. There's no molasses swamp.
2: Paul, can you believe it? Are you outraged?
3: I am outraged that he still plays Candyland.
2: <laughs> <laughs> he has, he has, he plays it with his son. His son is eighteen, but other than you know,
1: it's not like I have the Candyland app.
2: Is there a Candyland app? Well,
1: there probably is.
2: There probably is. Well, you
3: you know, I knew there was. He says, mm-hmm. at least I don't have it.
2: That's well. Oh, yeah. You, you well, my, sounded, my you sounded confident there, Carol. Do you have an answer for us?
0: I do. It would have to be Scrabble because. We had the old version that had wooden tiles and I managed to memorize what the wood gray nut was of the high point letters so I could always get those high point letters when I wanted them.
2: Isn't it Well, did you just have them laid out then or were you going into the bag and going reaching in the bag where they kind of laid out?
0: We didn't have a bag. This was a very old version of it. They were just laid out on the table.
2: Yes, because bags are such a new invention, <laughs> right? I didn't have bags before the the '60s. Well, you're not that old.
1: So anyway, um, well, for the record, there is a Candyland board game app.
2: Of course, there is, and you have now downloaded it, right? No. no okay. No. Um, Paul, how about you?
3: I can't think of a game I enjoyed playing back then, but I have really enjoyed playing Connect Four with my four-year-old recently.
2: Okay, well that that yeah. that works. That works. Yeah. When I was a kid, um, I used to like to play a game called Kick the Can. And oh, back in the day. Back in the day, and when you could go into other people's yards and not uh, get yelled at or have the cops called on you. So we would wait until the, in the summertime was the best time, so you'd wait till about 930 because it had to start just getting dark to play, and you'd have a can in someone's yard, and it was always job, someone's job to guard the can and you had to try to kick the can, and the person could go out and capture other people, and you could rescue someone by coming and kick the can before they tapped you. But if they tapped you, then you were captured by them.
3: So this was in black and white.
2: <laughs> it was. There was no color back then. It was the seventies. It was a simpler time, but it was fun. We got to run around, and it was a good time. But you could never. You had to have at least five or six kids playing, or it wasn't that much fun.
0: I I have a question for Paul that will tell me something about him. Oh no. Do you try to beat your four-year-old at Connect Four, or do you let him win? Oh, I don't let him win.
3: He cries. <laughs> I make my four-year-old
1: cry.
2: I um. Ever, so, Chad, when you're playing Candyland with your son, do you cheat? Or no, do I don't you, have
1: uh, to. Oh, really? The, the cards never go
0: in my favor. David always cheated.
2: I I did cheat a little bit, cause do, and we will get to the point here in a minute. Do you remember, do they still have Plumpy in Candyland? No. Because you draw the card, right? You draw the color, and then you'd go to the space where the color is. Right. And then if you draw a character, you get to go where the character is.
1: There are no characters. What?
2: This is sacrilege. It's is it just, just colors?
1: candy and colors.
2: Oh, my goodness. They've been corrupted by Candy Crush. It,
1: I think I think it's that whole everybody wins thing. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I think it is. The
2: millennials have corrupted the, Candyland. They, is that what you're saying?
1: They to Candyland. There's no, no winner? Destroyed it. There's well, no winner. It, no, it's easier to win now. Oh. But there's no getting stuck in the Molasses Swamp. Very rarely do you have to go back. So you're always moving forward, so everybody has an equal chance to win, and it's only fair.
2: Oh, you sound bitter about that. I'm, I'm very
1: bitter about the Molasses well, at Swamp. Least you're,
2: at least you're honest about it. But that's I the am. reason
3: I always beat my son at Connect Four. I don't want to let him win.
2: Why? Because you don't want him to get a trophy? Is I, that kind of a thing?
3: Yeah, I don't <laughs> want him to get a trophy for playing Connect Four. He has to actually beat me to win. So when
2: do you think that's going to happen? Probably next year. Oh, wow. Well, so apparently either you're not very good at Connect Four or maybe he is just some type of savant.
3: Um, he has his mother's genes in him, which is good.
2: Oh, nice. Okay. Well, all right. <laughs> we'll wrap that segment up of Off the Cuff. We'll check that off the list. Tonight's going to be an interesting conversation because I met Paul about, oh boy, about a year ago. Yeah. Through a mutual, mutual friend, Daniel Coons, who's been on the podcast as well. Sorry, I had Daniel on before you.
3: Sorry, you asked me first, probably.
2: I think, I'm sure I did. Um, so you have, you're a pastor now. Yes. And where are you a pastor?
3: I am the pastor at the First Congregational Church in Belding, Michigan.
2: All right. How long have you been the pastor there?
3: Um, just under six years. They haven't kicked me out yet.
2: Nice, nice. Are you afraid that they're going to kick you out anytime soon? Um,
3: you know, I've said some crazy things, and people have liked me enough not to kick me out. So, no, I'm not, not too fearful.
2: So what, uh, like, what are some of the crazy things that you've said? Just out of curiosity.
3: Can I, I? don't know if I can say them on the podcast. I mean, who listens to this? I mean,
2: well, we try children? to keep it family. Well, we we've had some pretty adult topics, but we are using a Christian station, so we stay away from profanity and things like that.
3: Well, that's one of the ones that almost got me fired.
2: Oh, oh, you almost literally almost got fired.
3: Well, I wouldn't say almost got fired. It was, um, and people weren't too happy.
2: I see. I see. Yeah. So, what uh, what was the need of, for using profanity in a sermon were you Were you pulling a uh, um, Tony Campolo?
3: No, I was pulling uh, this in the Greek. Scubula means and I oh, was, I know what that means. Uh, yeah,
2: <laughs> dog and, uh, poop.
3: The farmers enjoyed it. <laughs>
2: I bet they did. So, you've been a pastor for about six years. Where did you go to college?
3: Um, I went to Trinity in Newburg, Indiana, and I did just finish some work at Princeton.
2: Oh, some Princeton? Yeah. That's pretty uh prestigious.
3: Uh, yeah. They let me in. So how prestigious can it be?
2: Well, uh well may- maybe it made you more prestigious then. Maybe that's the situation. Carol almost got to go to uh, is it Northwestern was one of the colleges she got accepted to. Was there another one or is that the that was the main kind of cool one? Well, I can't hear you. I have headphones on.
0: <laughs> yeah, I got accepted at several universities.
2: That's because you're really smart. So <laughs> oh, okay. We don't want people. Okay, to know that. So
1: that mic?
2: Yeah.
1: You talk through the front. Yeah. It picks up people easier. Right. So you don't have to go
0: <laughs> So
2: what do you want I me mean, to you want to just move like this? Can you, you hear
0: me if I talk just like that? Yep. Perfectly. Okay.
2: Does that work? Yep. Okay.
0: Cool.
2: We will edit this out. Or, or maybe
1: we won't. Maybe we won't. Maybe the listeners will get to hear the behind the well, scenes. Well you see the thing is this so they told me yeah. before oh, well. audience. He doesn't even listen after it's edited.
2: I I was thinking about that today, and I think I should listen. To you the, should. I should listen to the finished product. So I you, mean, your hard work. I don't know what you're doing. Yeah, you don't know. It could be. I, I trust know. you, though.
1: The world could think you're a communist right now, and you would not even know.
2: We were talking about communism on the way here, as a matter of fact, with my stepson. But that's another. See, topic. There you go. So <laughs> I'm going to
1: edit everything out, but that.
2: Good, <laughs> good, good, good. That you can do lots of fun things, Chad. All right, Paul. So you have an idea probably, we've talked a little bit, you probably have an idea of what I want to talk about with you tonight, right?
3: Yeah, I do. Addiction. Heroin. Addiction.
2: Heroin Fun. addiction. So we're going to just let the cat out of the bag right now is not to be rude, but we have a very rare uh, kind of uh, person here. We have a pastor who is a former heroin addict
3: that we do. And unfortunately, people don't usually come out the other side of heroin addiction. I actually had did a funeral for somebody about a month ago for a heroin overdose.
2: Really? Wow. So, yeah. Let me start with this. How big of a problem is heroin in western Michigan?
3: It's a huge dish. It's a huge issue. It's an issue that I believe people don't fully understand. He's moving the microphone on me. <laughs> I wasn't watching his hand motions, and now I've got to stretch my neck out when I
2: speak. You can move it down a little bit. I
3: don't know. Can I, though? Yeah, as long as you just stay consistent. You can move it right up
1: to your face, so you don't have to stretch your neck. But then my beard gets in it. You don't need to 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 touch touch. that.
3: Oh, okay. Anyway, yeah, I think um, heroin addiction and addiction in general is something that's overlooked both by the church and um, the mental health society and, uh, I don't know, the health community in general. It's it's seen as something that people don't realize it is real until it hits somebody in their family. And we find, as you talk to people, that a lot of people have friends or relatives that have been affected by drugs in general, not only heroin, but addiction.
2: So let me ask you this. Do you think that heroin, uh, because there's obviously a lot of different types of drugs you can be addicted to, but do you believe that heroin addiction is more overlooked than other addictions by the church?
3: Um, I have found that it is, yes. I think um, in my experience, um, the church's ignorance in what addiction is. I had a lot of people tell me when I was in my addiction, just stop, or yeah. um, can't you just do better, or just get a job. Or I mean, I got the, the, a lot of the good Christian answers.
2: So let me ask you this. Of course, I want to start with this. How in the world do you end up addicted to heroin? It's fun.
3: Can I say that? Yeah. Yeah, um, no,
2: you can't. I mean, sin is enjoyable.
3: It is. Well, actually, the way I ended up um, on heroin was I had a really bad back surgery. And, and I have my dates here to make sure I get them all right. In 2005, I had a back surgery. And I was prescribed opioids. And um, I, my wife was working at times, so she couldn't stay at home while I was resting and recuperating from uh, my surgery. And I went through my... Um, my Percocets, and my um, opioids really quickly, and I ran out. And I got prescribed more. I found out how easy it was to get prescribed opioids and, in the United States. It's not hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, finding out that um, once they stopped trying to prescribe it for me, it was cheaper and easier to find it on the street.
2: So when did you get your back surgery, you said?
3: Um, 2005.
2: What happened? Why did you need back surgery?
3: Um, I have a degenerative disc disease. So oh. I have had two back surgeries, and I actually went to the doctor on Tuesday to find out if I'd need a third, which they said not yet, which is good news.
2: Okay, but there is another one coming.
3: Yes. Ultimately, a fusion will come and all that fun stuff.
2: So when did they give you an idea of when you think you're going to get the third back surgery?
3: Um, they told me three years ago anytime, and I've just been avoiding going to the doctor.
0: So does it... Um concern you to go back into that situation where you'll be prescribed pain meds no
3: um my wife red flagged me for opioids on my medical records it says i'm deathly allergic to them like a peanut allergy <laughs> which is kind of true yeah, so I, well, you're right. they will never prescribe me opioids ever again
2: well that sounds like a pretty good plan so tell me a little bit about your upbringing i mean did you grow up in this area
3: Oh, no, I did not. So um, I was born in 1982, so do the math if you want to work out how old I am. It's
2: 30, 35.
3: Oh, I was talking to the listeners, not you. But okay, that oh, works. Oh, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> I was listening, too,
2: so at that minute okay. I was a listener.
3: Oh, good point. <laughs> um, I was born in uh, July 12th. I was born in Ipswich, England. What? Um, yes, op- across the pond where they have You're good food. You're not
0: American? Get out. I'm
3: not American. I have a green no. card. No. Do you really? I do. Do you want to see it? If yeah, I do. I've never seen if a green you're, card.
2: It, it is actually green. I see green is cards. Is it really a
3: card? It's, it is. It's really a card, but it's not green.
2: What? I see green cards all the time at work.
1: You do? You're in banking.
2: Yeah, because I...
0: It isn't green. What it isn't a green. Buff?
2: Oh, it's an older one. These The newer ones are green. I'm old. There's green on the back. Yeah.
3: Ipswich, England. Ipswich, huh? England.
2: So talk yes. to us about growing up in Ips. How old were
3: you? How long did you live there? I'm... Um, um, I was born on a day that my parents took a trip to visit my grandparents. Uh-huh. Um, and so we grew up in London till I was about seven years old.
2: Okay, so you're, you, you grew up in London for seven years because your parents were visiting somebody?
3: No, because my, they were dad, visiting was, my dad was born in England. My mother was born in South Africa. We can complicate oh, wow. this even more. I like to. And then my mom came over to England when she was seven. And she was my dad's boss, not when she was seven, but when they met.
2: <laughs> she was a bossy little girl. She
3: was. She still is. Um, anyway, and um, she was engaged to another man to let all the um, dirty laundry out. And um, my dad stole my mom from another man.
2: Is he very charming? No. <laughs> so was he rich? What, what what was working for him here? It's his good looks. I look just like him. Uh, uh Right. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, could, I can see that. You see yeah. that? Sure. sure. Sure, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, anyway.
3: Yeah, um, and then they joined a mission agency called Youth of the Mission. I know that. YWAM. YWAM, yep. And then they moved us around to Scotland, Germany, and ultimately, when I was seven years old, we moved to Bolivia, South America.
2: What? Okay, so Bolivia, South America, South Africa, England. So what year did you move to, to uh When I was seven, in 1989. 1989, okay.
0: In 89, you moved to Bolivia? To Bolivia. My parents moved.
3: Bolivia.
0: Bolivia. And how long were you
3: in Bolivia? Until I graduated high school and I left in 2001.
2: So how many languages can you speak?
3: English, American, and Spanish.
2: English, American, American. and Spanish. So how do you differ? I want to
3: hear you speak English. Again, yeah, you might have to too. edit this out. I haven't had enough drinks for you to hear me speak in an English accent or English.
2: Because <laughs> I can do an English accent; it's not great.
0: It's not from anywhere in particular. No, it's
2: not. It's kind of a mishmash, and it will float between different dialects. So
0: it's kind of like floats around between the islands too. Does it? A little bit. I
2: <laughs> That's fine. Anyway, yeah. So Bolivia.
3: Yep. My par- my parents still live there to the to, um, today. So.
2: How uh, how often do you see mom and dad?
3: Um, they visit once a year. They're coming down in December for a couple days, and then they disappear again.
2: So okay. So then you lived in Bolivia, would you say till 2001, two thousand one? Did you say
3: two thousand one? And then I came over to the United States to go to college. Okay. And I met this beautiful woman who had a Les Paul custom Les Paul guitar, <laughs> and she needed me to Ooh. carry it upstairs.
2: Which did you like more, the guitar or the girl?
3: We still have both. <laughs>
2: <laughs> A safe answer maybe, but uh, and what is your wife's name? My wife's
3: name is Arianne.
2: Arianne. But she goes by Annie. Annie. Okay.
3: Yeah.
2: Is she from that's
3: she is from West Michigan. She grew up in Lowell.
2: Which probably explains why you were in this area, right?
3: Yep. She did not want I mean, despite the snow that's coming, she still wants to stay here. Yeah.
2: Well, we are on the verge of snow in October here. We're probably getting some Sunday, but that's beside the point. So you're so wow. I'm
1: gonna edit that part out. I'm sorry. That's what? the that's worse than anything he said so far. I know,
2: but it's the truth. and The truth no, no, will no, set no, you no, free. No,
3: but it's not as bad as his hat.
2: No, the hat's, My hat's fine. Perfect. We like his hat, Paul. You what, what? What's your uh? What, your Sparty?
1: I, sparty, but I, we play real football.
2: Oh, he just shut you off. He just shut your microphone off. That's nice. Yeah, that
1: really deserves censorship.
2: It does. It does. So, What about you,
1: freedom of speech in this country?
2: Well, it doesn't extend to these studios in the podcast, apparently. <laughs> you can't bash Michigan because you will upset Wolverine Chad. Okay, so you come back. To the United, You're back, not back to the United States. What was it like for you coming to the United States for the first time to live here? It was unique. It was an
3: adventure, really. I mean, they dropped, my parents dropped me off in college and they flew back to Bolivia with my two sisters.
2: And so, so there you are here by yourself in America.
3: I had ramen noodles. They bought me a package, <laughs> a huge thing of ramen noodles because that's what all college students had in their mind.
2: Well, and, and they weren't far from the truth, were no, they? No, they were not. So how did you like the ramen noodles?
3: They disappeared quickly. I was nice. a college student, and I was hungry.
2: When did you become aware that you had this back issue?
3: Um, not until about 2000 and f- uh, 2004.
2: 2004, I like, okay. I was
3: having some bad leg cramps and stuff like that, and they kept thinking I had pulled muscles in my legs, and we didn't have the greatest insurance at the time, so we were running in and out of different places and not getting good treatment at the time. And then I woke up one morning in September of 2005, and I couldn't get out of bed. Oh, yeah.
0: You you were saying we were you married already at this yes, point? Yes, we got married okay.
3: in 2003. Oh, good point. Good, yeah. Oh.
2: So He's what? She's a fast mover. You are. So she I, said no the first time. Did well? There's another story. What? What? Oh. So how did that happen? What happened there?
3: Oh, I can't say that in public. She'll kill me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: okay. <laughs> she can't. But you already told us that she said no.
3: I think she takes pride in that, though.
2: Really? Why? But she finally why?
3: did say yes.
2: Well, apparently. Yeah. Why do you think? Like, why is she embarrassed by the story, and why did she say no? Because it I involves
3: think... a Burger King parking lot, no ring, and pajamas. And oh, on her dear. part or yours? I didn't have a ring. Yeah, so that would be you. <laughs> I
2: right? didn't talk to her father. Oh boy.
3: Yeah, Aww. and I was hungry and couldn't drive because I didn't have a driver's license at like ten o'clock at night.
2: And this, and you decided uh, you wanted I'm to pop the, the, the qu- picture. You wanted to pop the question here. Why?
3: Because I didn't. Think straight. That's a, like most of my life is not thinking through things. He's impulsive.
2: Was there a heroin addiction going on at this point? Was that part of the story? No,
3: it was cheeseburgers then.
2: <laughs> you were addicted to
1: cheeseburgers? It was,
3: it, was the, it was the cheeseburgers.
1: So you couldn't even go in and get an onion ring. Well, Ba-dum-ch. I couldn't.
3: I couldn't. Yeah. Uh, that one took me a second. It. <laughs> it did.
2: I got it right away. Um, so you get married and you have kids?
3: Um, no, we did not. That is, mm. uh, We have kids now. We have a four year old now. Okay. Um. So after we got married, I was not, was not legally allowed to work for six months. Um, and why? How come? The American government said you can't work for six months after you get married. You have to apply and send them a boatload of money if you do this the right way, I guess.
2: What? I did not know this is a thing. Yeah.
3: It is. Yeah. It all depends what visa you. I went from a student visa to a permanent resident visa, and that's a six okay. month.
2: Because the student visa is an F1 visa. I know that. Yep.
3: So, if somebody goes from like a fiance visa to permanent residence, then they don't have to wait the six months. Oh,
2: as much. So, so okay. So, you're married, and you all of a sudden there's these back issues, and there's this morning you've been having leg cramps, and then you can't get out of bed one morning.
3: One morning, it was a Sunday morning. I was, spo- I was supposed to speak at my father-in-law's church. Oh boy! And I couldn't get out of bed. It was the Sunday. Was it the Sunday school picnic day? Yeah, and uh, my wife had a couple of Vicodin left over from time when she had some uh, um, work done in her teeth. I popped a couple of those, and I was able to get through the day. And then we went to see the doctors, and they said, "You need surgery. You've got your lower discs are pushing on the nerves."
2: Is that running your family at all? Is that kind of a do you inherit that kind of a thing or? The, The doctor
3: thinks I played a lot of sports growing up. Played basketball a lot. And in South America, we don't have those parquet floors that you guys have here. Oh, okay. And parquet floors give, so they take mm-hmm. a lot of the pressure off the lower back. Oh. So you were playing on cement? I was playing on cement yeah. barefoot, mm-hmm. not the smartest thing.
2: And you were playing actual football, as the world calls it, not as
3: America calls it. Well, I was playing basketball, basketball. then, but, yeah, we play real football the rest in the rest of the world.
2: <laughs> right, right. <laughs> where, we use, where we use our foot. Yeah, hence the name football. Yeah. And we just – I don't understand why we call – NFL football, I don't, anyway. So you grew up, obviously, I think it sounds like a believer as a Christian in a Christian home. Yes. Right? So it's not like you, as some people think, like some loosey-goosey environment, whether, you know, it's experiment is encouraged. You grew up in a Bible-believing home. home
3: Where my parents actually worked with drug-addicted teenagers. Oh, really? Yep.
2: How was that growing up? I mean, um, what was that like?
3: Well, my parents work with, like I said, Youth of a Mission, where they run orphanages to pull children off the streets in Bolivia. Okay. Um, so a lot of the kids are on the streets through drug addiction. The drug of choice there is more um, sniffing glue okay. and, and drinking, and they bring them off. I mean, kids aging from about eight all the way up and some as young as five or six who are living on the streets. And And wow. um, they pull them. They bring, give them a safe place to get education, and um, they've been doing that for, I'm 20, I'm not 20, I'm 35. <laughs> we, <laughs> yeah, we've, we've been over this. <laughs> so they've been doing, I think they're celebrating 25 years this year wow. of actually doing this work. And um, they've seen kids go from six years old drug addicts to all the way to becoming lawyers, engineers, seeing them through colleges and stuff like that. So um, it, was, it was kind of a... An interesting journey for my parents as well because they had an, a child now who was an addict and they work with addicts.
2: Wow. So I'm going to go back into your story. That was, yeah. Thank you for adding that. It is a good detail. You start, so you get the diagnosis that this is going on. I mean, how did you and your wife respond to this? How did this hit you?
3: Um, it hit us pretty hard because I couldn't work. We had just bought our first house and um, it was stressful. Um the hardest part was being laid up and um, not being able to do anything. The only benefit to that is my wife. This is when Blockbuster was still around. And you guys know what Blockbuster
2: is? I
1: yeah.
3: do. Netflix before it was cool. Um, yeah. And
1: I've never heard of it. You've never heard yeah, of it? Yeah, yeah, no. yeah. I'm just, I mean, that's like your generation. Yes. I'm old. Thank you. <laughs> but anyway. Oh, no,
2: you're older than he is, aren't you? What? Are you? You're not
1: talking to me, are you? Yeah, I'm talking to you, Chad. Now, hold on. Let me explain this All to right. you just here we for go. a second.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay. So Did at, you blog- get that? at Blockbuster. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what was that?
2: That was he was explaining it to us, but he was playing music, so it was let like me a- Let me explain it to her. All right. Here we go. Did you now, get it now? Now you understand? I you think just, so. you remember, nodding doesn't work on podcasts, remember, because <laughs> they can't see you.
1: It's intermission music.
2: Intermission. Uh, all right, where were we? I uh, got distracted. So Blockbuster. Yes. Blockbuster video. She went and rented me all the seasons of
3: 24. Oh, nice. So I got to lay on the, on the floor of our house and watch 24. Okay. Which, yeah, wasn't the best time of my life.
2: No, I don't imagine no. it was because it's not even that great of a show. It's, it's pretty good.
3: It is when you're in pain.
2: Is it <laughs> really? And most things are good
3: when you're in pain. Just about anything. Any, just to distract. Yeah, just you know. a distraction.
2: So you're watching 24. You're kind of trying to cope with this pain. Insurance isn't very good, and you start. So when was the first? When did you first start the opioids?
3: Um, I right after my surgery, they were prescribed, and I went through them like candy. Um, and I was finding out the best way for me to um, get the get the high quicker, get rid of the pain as fast after surgery was also to chew them up instead of just take them.
0: Gross. Yeah, that doesn't not, taste good. You sound like you're speaking from experience.
2: <laughs> well, uh, I may
0: have had a few surgeries in my life, she's like about nine.
2: <laughs> yeah. She was addicted to crack, though, not the cocaine. Oh, that's... No, I'm kidding. She was not. But she's had her share of medication. Yeah. So I'm sure you must. Did you try that one time? Did you chew one up? Um. It's okay. We won't do it. <laughs> We've had a lot of medication in your life. I know.
3: Yeah. And, and then, I mean, it, it just progressed to they stopped prescribing me more and I had to find it from somewhere else. And it moved away from trying to get rid of pain to kind of dealing with depression and trying to get rid of other issues that I wasn't willing to deal with personally at that time.
2: So were you working? Were you trying to work during this time? Did you have a job?
3: I did not. OK, no.
2: so you're unemployed. And were you still you weren't in your ban anymore, right? You were past the six month. Window. Yes,
3: I was past the six, but this was year. This was about three years after that six month ban. So I had actually taught at a local Christian high school for two years before this, uh-huh. and I taught Bible and Spanish there for a couple of years, and then is the the after the second year there is that during that summer, when the back started really kill me, and then in September when I when I had the surgery, and I didn't go back for the third year.
2: Of okay. Teaching. Okay. So you're laid up, and so how. The prescription's running out, and you know the prescription's going to run yeah. out, right? And are you starting to panic at this point?
3: I am because I'm. While I'm thinking in my mind that the pain is still there, I'm missing out on um, the relief that I thought I was getting. Mm. It's a very interesting feeling. The idea of getting high, specifically with something like heroin, where it's it's like kind of a downer at the same time. It really makes problems disappear. Um, temporarily has that it gives that feeling right and being unemployed not being able to work bills piling up um my back killing me and still after the surgery i i turned to something that i thought would give me relief and it kind of destroyed my life in the present moment
2: so you said in a minute a a second ago that i want i want to touch back on this you said that it was relieving you thought it was relieving the pain you were having which makes me, sounds like that's a little bit of a loaded comment. What did you mean by that?
3: That I was not in as much pain as I thought it was in after the surgery. I kept, I, I think the third time I went back to get my refill, I wasn't doing it because of pain.
0: Now, I, I know that sometimes when you're taking pain meds, like I've often had rebound pain. Mm-hmm. Um, does Do opioids create that effect too, where... When you stop taking it, then you do have pain? Then you do
3: feel like you have some form of pain. Okay. It's probably nothing compared to the pain you had originally. Right. But there's this feeling that if I don't take this medication, yep. I will sure. still be in pain. Yeah.
2: So does you think that the body or does the brain, because of you start to get addicted to these to these painkillers, it creates a false sense of pain to try to get you or trick you into taking or getting more drugs I think for me personally I
3: use the excuse of pain to escape other things ultimately because okay. because I was unemployed because um, I wasn't satisfied with where I was in life and I mean a lot of this is a, was a spiritual journey for me more than um, as well and I, I was finding um, I used theology in this moment also to explain why I was doing things it was I was yeah. twisted. I, okay. I, I Calvin was my friend during this time
0: because
2: yeah. I had no free will. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Oh, oh, okay.
0: Yeah, Calvin's good for people with addictions
2: because it's like this is all preordained, right? I
3: mean, this <laughs> yep. is supposed to happen. This was it's part pre- of the plan. It's part of the plan. Something greater is going to come out of this. Oh, I've than heard my this wife's. story before. Yeah.
2: So you're using. So when did you? How was your marriage doing at this time?
3: Um, it was. It was um, stressful. It was stressful from the standpoint that um, my wife also didn't have a full-time job at the time. She was substitute teaching in the Grand Rapids area. Okay. And um, w- the marriage wasn't good. I mean, we we were married,
2: <laughs> if you know what I mean. Right. No, I understand. Is yeah. It, was it more like a roommate thing? You're just kind of living together because we got married and we don't necessarily want, not want to be married we're just kind of surviving? We're surviving. That was a great... We're surviving, but she also took on the role of caretaker. Mm, Of caretaker,
3: because I dragged this out longer than it should have gone. And I... And so she she embraced that role for a while.
2: Why do you think you dragged it on longer than it should have gone?
3: Because I wanted the drugs.
2: Right, but why... And, like, how did that scenario happen? Why do you think that was... Do you have an idea of like why you, because obviously a lot of people go through this, don't experience that. So why do you think you fell into this? I I think
3: I fell into this because I was dissatisfied with where I was in life. I was not happy. And this was my out. Um, The back was was an issue. But ultimately, the thing that I found out through my addiction was I was not satisfied where I was in life. And my way of escaping that was not trying to make my life better, but trying to escape everything else.
2: So, in using kind of a twisted view of scripture and uh, the Calvinistic theology to kind of justify what you were doing. Oh, definitely. So, where did you want to be? You weren't satisfied with what you had. What did you want? Um, I wanted to be. Um,
3: what's, I don't know how to put this. I wanted to be known. Okay. In
2: what way? In what way? I am. Yeah. The, um. Because there's lots yeah. of different. I mean, what in, in for being speaking or writing or. Talking, um, you know. Sports. I played basketball
3: growing up a lot. I know. And um, one of the th- reasons that I stopped playing was um, this, I got a knee injury in high school. And um, that kind of put an end to that. And I've, in discussions with my wife and family, I found that that has been the, th- the one thing where I've, like, I've always wanted to do this. And I never did. And, um, I mean, people who play professional sports are one in a million, I'm not that one in a million, but I always right. had that when you're a teenager, or you're a kid, you're like, I could have done something.
2: Yeah. Maybe just maybe just I could Maybe if yeah.
3: the right person saw me at the right time at the right game, it would have been perfect.
2: Yeah. I understand that.
3: And I felt like I was kind of like, this wasn't home. The United States wasn't home. My family wasn't here. My wife and her family, they're great people. I'm not saying they're not great people. They're amazing people. But there's this 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 distance some of the distance does among um, with family as well, right? And I I honestly feel like it, it was a it was a uh, the start of a uh, depression for me as well.
2: Okay, so wow, when so you you're done with the painkillers? Yep. Were you able to milk? You said you were able to milk that out for a little while. Yeah, because
3: yeah. you you I was able yeah. to I was able to find narcotics. Outside
2: of the medical field? So that's, um, so when you're, but inside the medical field, when, when did that, when did that get the kibosh on it? When did they cut that off?
3: When insurance stopped paying for
0: it. Okay. It's not very difficult to convince a doctor that you need more it beds. It
3: I could go in right now, I, mean, they, I, I they
0: wouldn't I, prescribe it to me, but. I can't say this with certainty, but I get the impression that they benefit from writing prescriptions. They do. So they do like to write prescriptions. I still have some stuff that I need to get rid of because they—they just—they're happy to give you things.
2: Yeah, I. So let me ask you this, Paul. Um, you said they wouldn't prescribe it, but you could still get it. Yes. Explain that for me.
3: Um, I don't know if the statute of limitations has passed some of this, but <laughs> we'll go there anyway. Okay. Um, pharmacies um, prescribe opioids to pe- people sometimes older people, older people are unfortunately easy to mug and rob and steal from. Not my greatest moment in life. I'm just going to be honest there, but this is about a story of redemption and to have a story of
2: redemption, you need to know how far you fell. You need to know the depths. Absolutely. So you, you're cut off and you're not able to, so what did that sound like, feel like when you're, I mean, was there a doctor or someone who said to you, Paul, you're not getting any more. Um. Yeah, my the, my surgeon said,
3: you're done, you're cut off, we're just going to use physical therapy, and here's some like Motrin, have fun.
2: Motrin, and yeah. that
3: pretty much, that was not even close. No, it was not close at all, and I think it was within like two days of that that I was actively going out trying to find
2: something else. Two days, and and where were you living at this time? Um, n- northeast side of Grand Rapids. So when did you start to get concerned about what was happening and, and how the control this was starting to have over you?
3: When I took out credit cards and was, go, was going to cash machines and taking out cash, that's when I became concerned. And the, the all So that's
2: a little farther down the road than the, story, the part of the story we're in right now.
3: Not much further. That's a couple of months down the road from where we were.
2: So th- two days after, you're like, I'm out of meds. Was it I'm out of meds or I'm not getting any more meds? I'm not getting meds? meds. Okay. So you're planning ahead. Oh yes, you had yes. So you go and you rob somebody? You mugged somebody?
3: Mug is a, is a strong word cuz there was no well, violence is word, it's the word it, you use. But um I moved quickly, I moved very quickly with her purse. <laughs> um,
2: so you stole an old lady's purse so that you be hoping there would be medication in n- it, knowing you I was at the pharmacy watching oh, oh, what oh, people are oh. getting prescribed. Wow. And yeah. So you kind of you thought this is well, this is very premeditated.
3: Oh, it is. Yeah. And, there, um, there, there's nothing, like, spontaneous about this.
2: How did you come up with this idea? I mean, it's not, not that it's rocket science to figure this out, that sick people go to the pharmacy to get drugs. Well, it's where I got them originally. So you go and you stake out the local pharmacy waiting until – I mean, how did you know what they were getting?
3: If you stand by the uh, – this is not, like, 101, how to steal drugs from old
2: ladies. <laughs> yes, but. in case anyone <laughs> wants a primer on this, here it is.
3: Um, you, you just If you're in the line with people and you can see what they're getting, you can hear what the discussions are – if you're close enough, right. you, you just have to be annoyingly depraved.
2: No, absolutely. So you're, you know, you're not a small guy. You're not like a big guy or anything, but you're kind of a big guy. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and you got the beard, and you know, I, I could see where, you know, if especially if you're talking about that depraved state of mind, I, I would think maybe you might have looked a little creepy. I do. I mean, I did. Do. <laughs> I don't think you look creepy now at all, but considering what you're telling me. And I have my own, you know. People have heard my story. I know yeah. what it's like. I'm sure there's times in my life I looked very creepy because I'm a I'm a bigger guy, um, and I like to wear black a lot. <laughs> and so that kind of, uh, that, I mean, how did you feel? What was going through your mind when you're doing this? The
3: more I did wrong, the more I needed to um, to do drugs. The more I needed to mask what I was doing. So it, it it was yeah. it was numbing the pain. I was going down a rabbit hole quickly. Wow, and it was um it it was a when I look back on it I don't know the person who was there I'm like how did I ever why would I how did I what happened
0: during this time besides your wife did you have any close friends around did, was there anyone that noticed something was going wrong no not tried really Tried to say something or no not
3: at all no and um
0: so you were pretty isolated I was
3: pretty isolated um. I was very good at manipulating my wife mm. um, at telling her everything was okay that I'm going out to look for jobs oh boy and when you're going out to look for jobs you are taking cash out of a cash machine and buying stuff to pawn to buy stuff and it it got yeah you're
2: you buying stuff to pawn like what would you buy to pawn I don't I don't quite get how that works you would spend money on something and then go pawn it because you'd buy it on credit yes there you yeah. go that yep. makes sense yeah. And then you weren't really worried about, like, so I'm sure the credit card was in your name, not her name. Yep. Her name, my name
3: not uh, my name, not her name. I was home to get the bills before she right. was. Yep.
2: I mean, it was deep. So, how long did all this? So, well, let me ask you this. I'm going to back up. Yep. So, you're, how many times did you steal medication from old people? I don't know. So, it was a number of times. It's a number of times, yes. Because
3: once you start. Going down the – one pill isn't enough. Two pills are not enough. They get 20 pills. I could go through 20 pills quickly.
2: So talk to me about – well, first off, how how quickly would you go through 20 pills?
3: Oh, gosh. I don't know. A couple days maybe at the most.
2: Okay. Was it discernible to your wife that you were on something?
3: No, because she was working so much because I wasn't working that she would get up, go to work, come home, go to bed, get up, go to work. Um, and I was telling her I'm constantly looking for work, so if she was home, I would avoid her.
2: uh, Right, because you're lying, and women have this uncanny knack. If they get a little bit of time around you, they start to go, wait a minute, something's wrong here. And if you would
3: talk to her, she would say she knew something was going on and didn't know how to confront it, and there was no support, not only in her church, but I'm thinking the churches in general. There's no support for somebody comes and says, I believe my husband is doing X, Y, and Z. I need help.
2: So what, how long is it a period of time that you're stealing uh, medication from the elderly?
3: Probably a month, a month and a half.
2: And so you're going to different pharmacies, probably try not to go to the same ones. Oh, definitely, yes. Yeah, because that wouldn't make sense. And no. so you never, you never got caught doing that? I
3: didn't. I, I have no idea why. Wow. Because I did some stupid things.
2: Well, more stupid than stealing medicine from old people? Like, what do you mean? No, I
3: mean, that's the stupid thing. Well, right? that's yeah. stupid, but I, didn't, I mean, I mean, but I didn't know if there's something getting, more. And not getting caught, I don't know how I didn't get caught. Okay. I mean, I wasn't actively not trying to get
2: caught. Were you pretty fast?
3: Back in the day.
2: You had to be faster than the old person, and that probably well, wasn't that, hard. That wasn't hard. And then, yeah. I mean, did you ever see the looks on their faces or anything when this happened, or you just kind of grabbed and ran? I and, grabbed
3: and ran, and I think I had to dehumanize. Of course. You have to dehumanize a victim, or else you... But in doing that, I did have remorse, and I kept taking, and I was trying to stuff the remorse down by using more, which is right. It got too much, and that's where I went from an opioid to heroin. So
2: So that's the next thing I want to talk about. There gets to the point where you're like, so what? Why did you stop stealing from old people and decided I'm going to try King H as they call it?
3: It's easier, less. It's, but how it's not you, as dangerous. But it, So you were still doing the credit card thing? This, when I was doing that's how I got the money for heroin, was through the credit card thing.
2: Okay, so the, the credit card thing was to buy heroin that really, because stealing the prescription drugs, you didn't need cash for I that, I did not right? need cash. But so what, why, just because the pills weren't working
3: for you anymore? No, because it was easier to, it was less work to take money out and buy stuff and pawn it and go to a drug dealer than it was to steal from old people. How do you find a drug dealer? Once again, you can find a lot of stuff on the internet. Um, Craigslist. I you, mean, what? You, oh yes. Um, I they, they did an article recently in the Grand um, Greenville Daily News where I pulled up my computer every now and then. If you search the right keywords in Craigslist, you will find what you are looking for.
2: Wow, that's I didn't Craigslist
3: know that.
0: Craigslist is a source of a lot of creepy stuff.
3: It is, and the thing is, once you you only have to find it once, and once you found it once, you have a friend for life. Well, not a friend, but a dealer.
0: Yeah,
1: I can attest to that because um, when I had, when I, after I had gotten in my car accident, now I don't like people touching me, but I felt so much in pain that I wanted a massage, and so I checked Craigslist, and I'm like, I don't trust these. It may be a little no. bit sketchy. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh yeah, I'm giving massages in a hotel. You should probably no. go to, like, a chiropractor's
0: no. office. Yeah. Yeah, but they're more expensive.
2: Right. You wanted to drop yeah. $40 so, or well,
1: $20. And so I just elected to buy one of those stupid things from Meyer.
2: The little back massage, yeah. the automatic ones. Probably a better idea than the Craigslist idea.
0: Probably.
1: Yeah. yeah.
2: I like this side of jail better than this. As well you should, <laughs> from what I've heard. So tell me about the first time you buy heroin. I want to hear about this. I was nervous. I was oh, yeah. scared out of my
3: mind. I had no idea what I was doing or even how to do it. And the old adage where it says the first one is free yeah. is, is true.
2: That's what I've heard, especially it, with heroin.
3: It, it is. I went to some shady place on the south south side of town and walked into somebody's house with cash. When oh, think, wow. When you're thinking of doing this, don't do it because you probably get mugged walking around with that kind of money.
2: Mugged is a strong word. Okay. Um Hurt. Okay. Robbed. (laughs) Those are good words.
3: And I sat in somebody's house on their couch, and they gave me my first
2: hit of heroin. So what did they, I mean, I don't want to get too, but I'm curious here, like, how did they do the, so. So syringe, needle, um, it was that. So I I feel like, I've said this before, but I think it's funny. I've watched Breaking Bad, so I feel like I got some (laughs) drug, I got some street cred, you know, because I've watched Walter White, so I feel like I kind of know what's going on. So, you know, I know about the whole tapping and that. It's, it's not
3: glamorous. No, no, no. So were there other people in the home there's, or is it just you like and this dude? Other people in the home. There are people in and out. And I i don't know how long I was in the home.
2: Wow. Wow. So yeah. you, I mean, how did, you're scared, but I mean, this, so the first hit of heroin I've heard, you feel like you're floating.
3: All I knew is I was not going to have to explain anything to my wife.
2: Because you didn't care? No. Or what do you mean?
3: Because the alternative to doing this was sitting down with her and tell her what's going to be going on.
2: Wow. Okay. And
3: this seemed like a better choice, which is the dumbest thing in the world to say. But in the moment I thought, if I told my wife, my marriage is over right. and right. I could justify my mind. If I can just beat this and pay off these stupid credit cards, then I'm going to be okay. And she will be none the wiser.
2: So how did you think you're going to beat this?
3: Because you're always in control, aren't you?
2: Okay. You have, yeah. this,
3: you, you have this idea, and you talk to anybody in addiction or anybody who has a, like a life-dominating sin. They're like, "I can stop whenever I want to."
2: Don't Don't you like it in the church? We don't call it an addiction. We call it a life-dominating sin.
3: Yeah, that's the church coming out of me. I'm
2: sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. But I mean, I, it's just it's kind of a glamorous word that kind of means the same thing. I've never yeah.
1: heard that before.
2: The life-dominating sin? No, I haven't really heard, heard it, it put that way, but I've heard, you know, I've heard it phrased in different cloaks of spirituality rather than call uh, it an addiction.
0: It's a besetting sin. In oh, the King that's James. a good
2: one. That's a good one. I like the besetting sin.
0: How I about I've,
1: just, I struggle.
2: That's 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 <laughs> all, yeah. You know what I really struggle with? Tacos. Anyway, <laughs> um, that was my Jim Gaffigan voice. Sorry. So how long? Did this go on? You start using this went heroin? on for about eight
3: months before the credit card bills. She caught
2: what happened. You Ow. just couldn't. You couldn't keep the charade up.
3: I couldn't keep it up. I couldn't keep the charade up. I mean, a long story short, the once she found out that the credit cards were there. My manipulation and lies turned into, well, uh, my identity has been stolen. Oh,
2: wow. People, okay.
3: people have taken cards out in my name. Oh, no. I'm, I'm talking with the FBI about this. Oh,
2: you might as well go there.
3: And um, I, I did, I was, I could, it was awful. And it, the, the, it came to a head when my father-in-law came over and said, I'm going to the FBI office with you so <laughs> we can talk to them. Uh, how
2: did that feel?
0: Was that because your wife suspected it was yes, lies? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I had said okay.
3: I and I had said I've set up an appointment, and you happen to be working that time, honey, so you can't come with me. And my father-in-law took the day off of work, came over to the house, picked me up, and said, "We're going." And the weight of the world
2: fell down. Nice. So your world comes crashing in. Yes. But during this time of deception, your wife knows something's going on. Yes. She can tell something's. I don't know. I mean, how long does a heroin high last? Um, it, I mean. Less and
3: less. I mean, it gets shorter and shorter. You have to hit more. You have to take more right. and more. Right, your
2: body acclimates. But
3: um, ultimately, I I don't know how I got away of never doing it while she was there. I told her I was working third shift for a job for a while and sitting in parking lots. Um, of was it there's a, a Catholic church on Four Mile that I sat in and would shoot up there and just wait and just sit there. She would go to work. I would come home.
0: But you weren't bringing home any paychecks.
3: No, I was not. But I had credit cards that I was putting money into my bank with. I mean, it was. Oh
2: my oh. goodness! So, so
3: ultimately, over that time, I accrued about sixty thousand dollars.
2: What? Oh, my credit. Sixty. That was my next question. Yeah. How much credit card debt 60. did you accumulate? Sixty thousand dollars,
3: just under a year.
2: Wow! Wow! So, so your world. I want to jump it. I want to jump back to the, the point of the story. Yeah. Um And so apparently you're getting pretty good at this at this point. You're kind of an I think, expert. I think I'm an expert. I think I'm getting away with
3: this. I think that this never going to catch up to me.
2: Really? And and she knows something's going on, like I said. Yep. And so she's got father-in-law because, you you know, you call in the dad to help because something's wrong with Paul. We don't know what. Yep. And then please walk us through, and this will probably take a few minutes, and that's okay. I want you to walk us through all this crashing down and you confessing.
3: So I, she, he comes into the house and he's like, all right, let's get ready to go. And I tried and pull the the agent just called. We don't need to go in today. He's busy with something else. And he says, well, that's fine. We'll go down there and talk to somebody else anyway. And I was like, well, you, maybe we'll wait for my wife to come along with us. That might be better. I'm sorry you took the day off of work. Maybe we'll go get breakfast together, kind of avoiding everything. And he said, "No." This is it. We know something's wrong. We're either going to prove that you've been telling us the truth by going to the FBI or you tell us what's really going on. And I remember sitting in my couch sobbing uncontrollably. And he goes and he he says, it's going to be okay. We need to know what's going on. What's going on? What's going on? And even in that moment, I wanted to get out of the house, run away, jump in my car and go to... My dealer. Oh, wow. And they, and they did. So my wife comes out, and she doesn't go to work that day in the end because we are now dealing with this. Right. And um, I don't think she spoke to me much that day.
2: No, I don't imagine she did.
3: Um, and I wasn't completely honest with them at all that day Right, of course because, not. Because um, I had been – so I made light of it. I just said, I've just been buying opioids Okay. And abusing pills. Right. Soft and, cell. The and, soft cell. So, and trying to make it sound like it, it's not my fault. It's my back. I, I was really good at blaming everybody else. Okay. It was, it was my wife's fault because she wasn't home enough to help me with the pain. Right. It was my father-in-law's um, fault because he wasn't around enough to help support me when I needed the morals. And I made it everybody's fault but mine. And they said, well, you need to go in for a detox. So I agreed to a detox. Um, a three-day detox, which did absolutely nothing <laughs> um, except give me the shakes. Yeah. Wow. Um, they dropped me off there, and they, my my in-laws paid for it out of pocket. Wow. Um, and they dropped me off, and they said, this is what he's in for. How's he going to do? And the nurse told them as soon as he leaves, he's either going to find it again or he's going to find something else.
2: Right. Because they, they knew. They, th- they're professionals. Yeah,
3: they know what's going on. So I was there for three days. I detoxed awful time in my life physically just going Mm -hmm. coming off that so quickly and within two days of leaving the detox i was using again right um and
2: back with your friend the dealer
3: back with my friend and the hardest part for me was now trying to hide it because right they were suspicious already
2: but they weren't suspicious of this were they
3: I think they were, but I think they were wise enough to know. Oh, they weren't, they weren't suspicious that I was doing heroin. They were right, suspicious that I was going I back to pills. Right, right, sure,
2: sure. Of course, They're. I'm sure they're thinking that, and they're trying to make sure you don't, and then you got to kind of work around yeah. and outsmart them.
3: And so that went on for about another, I want to say three, maybe a month, month and a half, and um, I get caught again in a lie.
2: Well, how? how, What was what was the lie?
3: A a bill showed up after I had told her I had no more credit cards out. This is all the information that you have. Here are all my cards. We've cut them up. I can't use them anymore. What did they think about? Did they know about the amount? Well, the amount was yes. They knew about the amounts, but did that not freak them out? Yes, but it's it's kind of let's just deal with this and get on. We'll 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 deal with this. We'll get it paid off. You'll get a job. Um, We will do everything in our power. We'll we'll. We called all the companies with the credit card companies and tell them, this is how we're going to pay it off. We set up payment arrangements. Okay. I mean, I did all the right things in front of them. Right, right. And to and took get them, out a different
0: card behind
3: the I know, And had more cards had that more cards. I didn't tell them about.
0: Okay.
2: Oh.
3: And then um, she found that and she kicked me out of the house. Oh, boy. She kicked me out of the house. It was roughly, I got the date here, it was roughly uh, beginning of April of uh, 2008.
2: And there's no kids at this point, right? No kids. Okay. Thank God Yeah, no kids. yeah, yeah.
3: So she kicks me out of the house and I'm walking downtown and I'm calling um, I was going to call my dealer, and I now that I know this, I think this is one of those like God moments, and I, I don't use that word lightly, because mm-hmm. I called a family friend who picked up the phone who happened to have a history with alcohol addiction themselves. And I said, "Hey, I'm coming over for a fix. I need help." And they said, Well, you're not coming to our house for a fix, but we'll come and help you. <laughs> and I was like, Who is this? And they told me their name. I'm like, Oh, wrong number. I'm sorry. And she says, No, you stay where you are. My Amy, my wife, your wife has told us everything that's going on. Wow. They came, they picked me up, they threw me in their basement for a week whoa um i don't know if you can legally do that but i had a green card wow. and i was too scared to get deported because um, <laughs> you
2: were doing some bad stuff i was yeah i was doing
3: yeah. stuff that would get wow. me deported hopefully nobody from the immigrations listens to this but <laughs> um but um they throw me in the basement and my wife unbeknownst to me calls my father oh and says this is what's going on oh boy he, your son's addicted to pills i've kicked him out come and deal with this the other thing that I call a God moment in this, in this instance is my father, being working in, um, with drugs and alcohol with teenagers, attended a meeting in Miami in 1990, with, and he had a business card from a gentleman called Alan Bobbitt. I mean, it was in 2000. And he had a business card from a gentleman called Alan Bobbitt mm-hmm. who ran a um, drug and alcohol rehab in Indiana. Okay. And my dad called that gentleman in Indiana and said, will you take my son? And my dad jumped on a plane from South America, flew all the way up to Michigan, Wow! pulled me out of my friend's basement and said, yep, you're coming with us. We're taking you to rehab. This is a year of your life that we're going to work this out.
2: So it was a year.
3: A year and three days. <laughs> in 3 days. Oh, I counted.
2: <laughs> I'm sure you did. So what what did you say to your dad? I mean, what's happening with you internally? What are you thinking when all this is going on? Internally, I want to run, but you can't.
3: I can't. I have nowhere to go. Right. Which is what well, they say you have to get to the end of your rope. I mean, I could have gone to a dealer. I could have I could have I don't know why I didn't. Right. And I decided through my dad saying, this is where you're going. My dad is a bigger person, bigger man physically than I am, <laughs> a wiser man than I am. Right. And I said, I'll give this a shot.
2: So what were the first couple months like there? Hell. I mean, I, how long does it take for that to, before you stop shaking and all the DTs or whatever they call it? Probably
3: about a week, week and a half. Um, but the, the, the way this rehab works is um, it's part of Wheeler Mission, which is in Indianapolis and you work they work you You work with the the um, homeless shelter you are um, doing the laundry you are working I mean it's right. it's, it's not hey we're going to put you in a bed and hope for the better so um, it and it, the, the way it progressed when I was there is you do three months of intensive um, therapy counseling and um, work mm-hmm. and then we go out in the middle of nowhere in Bloomington this sounds like a cult And it might be, but, um, I have my wife still with me because of something like this. Right. And, um, you end up working in a pallet factory there to support it and it's, you don't pay. There was no fee for me to walk through those doors. Wow. And one of the things I found in West Michigan is there's nowhere like this. Everywhere wants money ahead of time. And they think that if you have one week clean, that you're good. Right. Sure. And, um, To be honest, I was there for a year and three days, and I used two months after I left.
2: Wow. So I I was going to ask you, during the rehab, was there a point where you you thought I'm – I'm going to do this. I'm going to not use again. I'm going to be okay. I've got this thing beat. Did you ever?
3: I made deals with my buddies there. I said, we get out of here. We're going to stay clean together. We're not okay. going to anything stupid. So you bought
2: it. I mean, you bought in, and you're like, I'm in. I'm doing, I'm doing this. this.
3: I, I've got this right. I, I'm not going to go. I mean, the whole writing letters, making amends, the whole actually looking at yourself and seeing the depravity of yourself and how far you had gone compared to where you should be. Right. And um, I came home, and I still had that – that depression that I came home on, who's going to employ somebody who has a year gap in their employment? And <laughs> when, you, when you explain it to them, you're like, I was in rehab.
2: Yeah, <laughs> That yeah. doesn't
3: go over well.
2: So, what, do you, what do you mean I can't work with the uh, middle schoolers?
3: Yeah, exactly. I won't bring anything in, I swear.
2: So you, you go, you're out two months and you use again?
3: Yes. Oh. Um, I was taking classes at, um, at GRCC, walking through the parking lot, and I ran into somebody I knew. Okay. And this person that I knew was not the right person to run into.
2: So not a God moment, more like a devil moment there.
3: More like I could have walked the other way, but I chose not to.
2: So you see this person and you feel that thrill, that surge inside you like, oh, yep. I know what this could mean.
3: Yep. And I felt like Scuba. <laughs>
2: what, what did your marriage look like that year? We're going to pick up the story in a second, but I want to yeah. go back. What did the marriage look like that year you were in rehab?
3: I believe my wife was fully considering leaving me.
2: Right. That Um, makes sense. And she
3: was getting advice from pastors and pastoral friends who said, "Nope, you're married for life. You stick with this for life. Um, You're here to help him. And the counselors at the rehab I was in was like, no, you can leave him.
2: (laughs) (laughs) So she's getting conflicting advice then.
3: She's getting conflicting advice. One of the – in my entrance – my entrance interview for this place. They said, "Oh, so who are you leave? Who's at home? Who do you love?" I said, "I love my wife." And the guy looks at me and goes, "You don't love your wife." Oh wow! If you love, if you, lo- it was if you if you loved your wife, you wouldn't do this. You wouldn't be here <laughs> right now. And I kind of wanted to punch him in the face. Well, sure you did. And but he was right. I mean, he, he, he there was certain truth to that. Um, but through this time, the first three months that you're there, she your family can't visit. Okay. So we're writing letters back and forth. And I have not told her yet that um, I did heroin.
2: Oh, boy. Okay.
3: And then because of my immigration status, I had, I, they gave me leave to come back to Michigan to fill out some paperwork and send some, some stuff in to the immigration services. Right. And that's when I told her, I said, hey, just so you know, this is also what happened. Wow. You should uh. get tested for You should get tested. Yeah. Oh, And that was a very hard conversation to have. Yeah. And I think the only reason I had it is because I knew I could leave and go back to rehab.
2: Right. Right. You didn't have to stay there. I
3: didn't have to stay there and deal with it. Um, I think that was a very traumatizing experience for my wife. Mm -hmm. Extremely. um, For her to go through that and me just to get up and leave and go to a safe place. (laughs) Right. And leave her with $60,000 worth of debts. Wow. People calling, creditors calling. And I'm in the middle of Bloomington in a nice forested area.
2: She sounds like she's quite the incredible woman.
3: Um, She embodies divine forgiveness. She must. She is, when, when I've used it in sermon before, I say when we are to forgive each other, the only person I can compare the forgiveness of Christ to is my wife. Because even the counseling that I would give couples if I, they were in my situation would be run for the hills.
2: Absolutely, because you know the depravity and you know what that feels like and you yeah. know the desire to stay dirty, if you will. Yeah, so okay, so you use again, you feel terrible. What happens
3: next? I'm walking back from classes at GRCC, and I end up in this random church. And I t- tell this minister, this pastor who happened to be in his office, I said, "Hey, I'm just used drugs, and I promise my wife I'm never going to do this again."
2: So just a random church, you just walk in and grab a guy, guy and say, "Hey,
3: hey, I can't go home," and huh. and he I he says, "Nope, you go home, you make this right." And I sat in his office, and I don't like publicly crying, and I did right. that in his office. And you ugly cried. I ugly cried. Sure. Oh, it was ugly crying. And it took me two days again before I told her.
2: Oh, boy. Because, how'd, that, how'd that go?
3: Um, back to day one of finding out mm. I was an addict. Because we had made a deal. If I ever used again, she would leave me. Right. And I knew that ultimatum. And mm. I was ready for her to kick me out of the house again. Right. And she didn't. Why not? I don't know. She was pissed. Why? Well, certainly. <laughs> I was on the couch. Um, but she has this amazing grace about her where she wants to work through it. Right. Um, and because I think we didn't have the children, have a child at that moment, um, she thought, hey, what the hell, let's give them one more chance.
2: Wow. So did you use again after that? I
3: have not used since.
2: Why? What has kept you God. clean since then?
3: Um, I have found purpose. I have I have been lifted out of it. I have um, accountability. I also have transparency with my wife. That was one of the big things. Even when I do something stupid now, hey, honey, I did something stupid.
2: How um, long has it been since you've been clean?
3: Um, going on s- eight years.
2: Uh, so... On a scale of 1 that's to 10, awesome. 1 being, you know, I'm, I'm not really tempted at all, and 10 is like, you know, like I'm a step away from using. Where do you live? I live on the cusp of some days not
3: even remembering that I did that, and other days thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm about two steps away. Really? With back pain coming back. Mm. I had another yeah. back surgery in yeah, 2010. right. And the interesting thing with that is my dad and my mom flew all the way up to be with me during that surgery. Mm-hmm. And even though on my medical chart, it says I am deathly allergic, I will die if I get opioids. Right. Coming out of surgery, they were trying to give me opioids. Yeah. yeah. And my mom and my wife had to step up and say, he yeah. cannot have that. He will. Yes. It, it, I have written in my chart, I will deal with the pain over putting this through, having this past my lips. Yeah.
2: And you know, and of course, you're very familiar with the pain and you know what that feels like.
3: Yeah.
0: So... Do other pain medications are they a risk too? I just don't do it. You just deal I, with the pain. I
3: deal with the pain, and oh I am a word. bear. To, I'm a bear to live with. some I days. Bet. Oh,
2: sure. That's gonna be horrible. Um,
3: but I, my wife and I have an understanding that it's better for me to be a bear to live with at a moment than going through all of that again. Yeah. Than
2: wow. the alternative. Yeah. So what? Uh, my mind went blank. I have, have a to, question. Go ahead.
0: Okay. So not long ago, I read an article, and then um, it was about a TED Talk by a guy who the talk is entitled, um, Everything You Think You Know About Addiction Is Wrong. Yes. And he comes to this conclusion that the opposite of addiction isn't sobriety, but connection. Yes. Uh, Would you agree with that?
3: Oh, definitely. Um, uh, One of the biggest culprits to Continuing addiction is isolation. Yeah. So when you're not connected with a community, it, um, you are more, I would be more susceptible to relapse if I'm not connected. And one of the things sure. that I have to continually remind myself is I'm always susceptible to relapse. If I start mm-hmm. thinking that I'm never going to do it again, yeah. I, I that, that's my first stupid thought.
2: Does that scare your wife for you to say that this could happen again, that I'm, that I have to be careful? Does that concern I, her or does she find that comforting that you're being that honest? Both. Okay. It, dep- it, dep- it depends on the conversation. Yeah. If she instigates
3: the conversation, if she says, do you feel like using, it? I say, yes, that's when it worries her. Yeah. Well, but sure. when I say to her, I'm having a really crappy day, I'm not going to do this, but.
2: How does yeah. she help you in that moment?
3: How does she help me? Yeah. She um, stays with me. I'm not just saying like in the marriage, but she no, will spend like time. Physically. Yeah, she will spend time. She will talk. We will go out and do something else. So, so cool.
2: how do you, and I know this because when we first met you, we were at a thing where it was called Bible and Beer or something like that. Um, so the, the question then is how do you do consuming alcohol when you have this addictive personality? Connection. Just staying connected. Staying so connected. So alcohol's not a problem. You've never had a problem. You I know. haven't
3: had a problem with alcohol. Okay. Um, it, if I was counseling somebody who is not myself, I would say, don't do it. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm the biggest hypocrite in the world because I say that. Yeah. But because of the, when if I'm doing it to mask something, then yes, there's an issue.
2: Okay. I hear what you're saying.
3: But we, yeah, yeah, we beers and Bibles uh, we have at our church. And it's, um, right. it's, a, it's a good time, but it's controlled.
2: So does your wife, what, your wife's okay with drinking? You're drinking, that's not, that doesn't concern her at all?
3: She doesn't drink. So I always have a designated driver for one.
2: that's yeah
3: but um it's something we talked through it wasn't something like
2: didn't just happen
3: it wasn't like hey honey we're doing beers and bible oh that sounds great go for it you former addicts yay Um, (laughs) yay just switch your dictions no it was something we had to sit down and talk through and work out and set up boundaries and guidelines and the whole nine yards Uh,
2: absolutely in so is does does this still a topic of conversation at times that you bring? I mean, I would assume that this is still something you talk about.
3: It is. I mean, I had a doctor's appointment on Tuesday for my back, and it came up there. I mean, I'm I'm open with my doctors about my history. And it's not just like I had a pill problem. No, I was a heroin addict. Just keep this stuff away from me. So we went to the doctors on Tuesday, and it comes up. Well, if you're in this much pain, are you thinking of, are you doing this? Have you yeah. taken out any more credit cards? I mean, there's a questions yeah. that are constantly asked to the point where, I mean, if we're being completely transparent, she checks my credit all the time. Even after being sober for almost 10 years, she checks my credit. We have separate bank accounts so that she has no fear that any of the money that she brings in is ever going to be used for something like that. And it's something that we've agreed upon mutually as a couple that this will be life forever.
2: So... They tell me, from what I've heard from my vast experience watching Breaking Bad, <laughs> that heroin is one of the hardest addictions to kick. That's one, they call it, King H. Yep. And you basically you get in, and it's really uh, difficult to get out. And there's the whole methadone clinics and all that stuff. Yep. That's true stuff, right? Yeah.
3: No, it, this methadone clinics and this, it, it was the hardest. I want to say it's the hardest thing that I've ever had to do, but but. It wasn't what my wife went through was worse than what I had to endure. Right, um, but yeah, it was a very hard thing to kick, and it's something that the more I talk about in the open, the more people who know, the more people look for red flags.
2: Do you find that there's freedom and help in having your story spread out and having a lot of people know who you are? Yes. Do you think? Do you find that people think that you're kind of crazy for how open you are with your story?
3: Yes. <laughs> yes, they do. I mean, I've had people in my church who've come up to me on a Sunday and say, "Oh, can you stop talking about that and and
0: and
2: yeah, it sounds familiar
3: <laughs> and and I have to tell them no because that is the redemption of christ if if as a Amen. as a minister, as a pastor i' I'm, I'm supposed to give people hope, hope the hope of Christ, and this is not sharing a Bible story about the hope of Christ. this is sharing the hope of Christ in reality
2: absolutely. There's a lot more left to the story, I sense, and we are running low on time. So we're going to wrap this first part up, Paul. And you're well, you said you're able to come back, right? Yep. Okay. The thing that I'm really interested in now is I'm interested in how a former heroin addict becomes a pastor and what that conversation looks like, sounds like, and what church is insane enough to hire you. And you don't take that personally.
0: Oh, I no, know. not at all. And I would love to talk to your wife.
2: Yeah, if you can bring your wife in, that would be be awesome.
0: I will sweet talk her.
2: Yeah, I know a lot of people, I talk to people to get them on the podcast, and there's people who are like, that will never happen.
3: (laughs) She she might be one of them.
2: And you're like, there's no one here. No one's watching (laughs) you. All right, Paul, we like to kind of end on an up note here. So for people who are out there and they're struggling with addictions... Um and, and we'll do this again next time too. But like what would you like to just share about your story and kind of just for people listening right now? What would you like them to take away from this first part?
3: I want them to take away that there is hope. There is light in the at the end of the dark tunnel, but they unfortunately in in the grand in the um West Michigan area there's not the help that is needed. So what they need to do is reach out to mm. family. Don't worry about the shame and stigma that's attached to it. Um, if I had come clean months, half a year beforehand, this would have looked completely different. Um, and it's, it's kind of saying there is hope, but we need to be honest with ourselves.
2: So stop lying to yourself and get help.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And that's the hardest thing for people to do is to think they, is to get the help.
2: Yeah, and it is—it is as bad as you fear it is. Yes. Rather than trying to sugarcoat it and saying no, it's you know I'm okay, I got it under control, uh, I'm fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm—I know I'm. You know, I have you know tens of thousands of dollars of credit card debt, but we'll figure that out later. No, there's <laughs> not a later. You have to deal with it now.
3: Deal with it now and, and speak, talk, talk. Yeah. Connect. Connect. Yeah. Yeah.
2: All right, well, we're going to wrap up this segment of An Open Letter. We appreciate you listening. Hopefully, uh, we can get you to tune in for next time. I think this has been a very interesting conversation. Learned a lot, especially going into this conversation, not really knowing much other than that Paul had been a heroin addict before, and he's now a pastor. If you want to connect with us, we are on Facebook. It is An Open Letter. We have an email address. You can email us at an letter 2 u That's the number 2. Uh, the letter U, at gmail.com, an open letter to you. We are on iTunes. We would love, love, love if you would please write a review for us. That helps get the news out, spreads the words a little bit, makes our podcast a little more visible. Again, we're trying to be out here getting people to listen to talk about difficult topics, difficult things that the church doesn't either talk about well or just doesn't want to talk about at all. That's why we have guests like Paul on the podcast. So, again, thanks for listening. Uh, Appreciate it. Tell your friends about us and have a good night or day or whatever.